0: Okay, it is time. Mm-hmm. I always hate this moment when we have to start. <laughs> starting is the worst.
1: We're now starting in front of like our closest thirty friends, I guess.
2: Yeah. Um, okay, everybody, it is now time for the last session of the conference. Uh, listened to by literally dozens of people, some of whom <laughs> aren't even related to the speakers, um, the NR podcast is both the official and the most ambiguously named skeptical podcast. Uh, please welcome Bronwyn, Craig, and, Ma- and Mark, uh, the presenters of the NR podcast. <laughs>
1: This is, this is really surreal.
2: <laughs> it is, isn't it? Thank you for that uh, gracious introduction, James. I'm dying inside. <laughs> Just right. keep going, okay, keep going.
1: Well.
2: <laughs> so you are listening to the e r Podcast... Oh my god, didn't even get it right (laughs) in the first time You are listening to the Year Now podcast We are recording live at the New Zealand Skeptics Conference On Sunday the 27th of November In Wellington at the Tararua Champion Club
1: Mm -hmm. We're not on Zoom like we usually are
2: No, and so joining me this afternoon I have Bronwyn Yay, hi And Mark, hey And also the audience Yay (laughs) (laughs) Go home Uh, (laughs) <laughs> Where's the bouncers for throwing the people out who are booing? So, uh, it's still November. Yes. And for those who have oh. been following along at home, oh. one of our topics that we introduced earlier <laughs> in the month was the concept of No Nut November. Now, we might have some people in the room who are not listeners, so Mark, can you give us a succinct introduction to the concept of No Nut November? If I have
0: to, yes. Yeah. So um, so nutting is a slang term for um, masturbating or or at least the, uh, the end result of masturbating. And there is an idea that is quite widespread in some parts of the scarier parts of the internet that this is a bad thing to do, that uh, you need to keep your seed inside and that somehow it's got this magical energy that will make you stronger. There's a lot of weirdness to it, but uh, this community online especially on Reddit has come out with the idea that November could be a month where we could all abstain um, and so I wrote an article for our newsletter a few weeks ago talking about this and the dark side of this and some of the other weird sex based ideas on the internet like incels and it went right the way to the point that our um, our security services in New Zealand recently released a report under an OIA request saying that they consider there is a real threat of a lone wolf attack by an incel, uh, an invulner voluntary celibate, a man who finds that he's unable to find a girlfriend and is very frustrated by this. So the lighter part of this conversation was um, you and I keeping an update on whether we were able to not nut for November. And for some of the audience, this is probably too much
2: information. Yeah, Most of them, I'd imagine. But
1: they both failed pretty early on the piece, and yet people still want updates. Like, how how much are you failing at no, well, November?
2: Sometimes when you fall off the wagon, you can get back on.
0: <laughs> sometimes you fall hard. So I failed by 1 a.m. on the 1st of November. <laughs> well, I think I, I, I managed it a little further than that. Well done, you.
2: Because I'm um, generally asleep at 1am.
0: But <laughs> did you get back on the wagon then? Did you give it a serious try after your slip-up? No, I can't say that I have. No. No, I'm just not committed enough to the cause. And Not to dob anyone in, but is it right that Susie Wiles has asked for an update? No. Oh, okay. No. Here's no, Susan. It would be my wife, oh, <laughs> oh, the other Susan. That, that makes more sense. Surely she already knows. She knows how well you're doing.
2: Indeed. Indeed. But she <laughs> just likes embarrassing me on the podcast.
1: I guess I'll go in for gender equality. However, I would like to abstain from answering the question.
2: <laughs> That's fair uh, um,
1: You know, as a matter of national security. Right.
2: <laughs> well, you're not, presumably you're, you wouldn't fit that category of being an incel. You're not, for a start, you're not male. Yeah, <laughs>
1: no, but, you know, women can nut off. Mm,
2: of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay, this is going places I'm not going yes, to. Yeah, right, there we let's, go. Let's move on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we're at the conference, so... How have you guys found the conference so far? I
1: love the kitchen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Roman, thank you. You have spent a lot of time in the kitchen, and it's been absolutely amazing. You've done a great job. Thank you. I
1: know it's caused a lot of people anxiety to see me cutting up food, but it's actually I really like handling knives.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's been brilliant, right? The the talks have all been amazing. The audience have been great. Lots of really good questions. Um, And I'm really happy how it's Mm. turned out. Mm -hmm. And no nutty questions. So that's good. Right, crazy, not as in no-nut questions, Don't right, day. yes. Maybe
1: that's our price point, you know, we've just priced out the uh, people coming from off, coming coming on off the street.
0: Yeah, so historically we have had people turn up to our conference that have believed in UFOs and um, other weird and wonderful things and wanting to ask some of our speakers questions, even when they, the speakers know nothing about UFOs and their chosen topics. So this year has been a quiet year for that, which is really nice.
2: Hmm. Right, shall we get on to some topics? Do it. Mm. What have you got? Yes. So I was going to talk about, uh, let me find the right document.
1: Want to talk about this technology you have here uh, in front of you, Craig? It looks pretty fancy.
2: Ah, yeah, well, provided I can find the right document, that's the thing. <laughs> hang on, hang on, just give me a second.
1: And this is the part that gets edited out. I hope so. <laughs> Hey, while Craig's sorting out this problem, how about I ask a Chuck Klosterman question?
2: Yes, Yes, that's
0: a good idea. Can can you explain what it is first? All
1: right, so Chuck Klosterman is an American pop culture writer and pundit, but I think he also does sports stuff as well. And in his 2003 book, um, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, one of his articles, one of his, um, I should say, one of his essays is called 23 Questions I Ask Everyone I Meet in Order to Decide if I Can Really Love Them. And it's just a collection of absolutely bonkers questions but they're also you know it's something that we've used to sort of warm our throats up and so on when we're when we're recording our other podcast isn't it mark
0: yes it is um and they are some weird and wonderful questions that you end up asking us that definitely take some thought and it's it's interesting to to think about these things Mm.
1: so the first one i thought would be a pretty good skeptical one given the conference so and it's the first one of the 23 questions and we're only gonna we're only gonna bore you with one question let us assume you met a rudimentary magician. Let us assume he can do five simple tricks. He can pull a rabbit out of his hat, he can make a coin disappear, he can turn an ace of spades into a joker card, and two others in a similar vein. They, they are his only tricks, and he can't learn any more. He can only do these five tricks. However, it turns out, when he's doing these five tricks, he's doing them with real magic. It's not an illusion, he can actually conjure a bunny out of thin air, he can move a coin through space. He's legitimately magical, but extremely limited in his scope and influence. Could this person be more impressive than Albert Einstein?
0: Well, that was silent. Do you want to go first, or me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: you, <laughs> I, c- I can claim to be concentrating on the, my technology issues so they didn't get the full gist. Okay,
0: <laughs> yeah. so uh, for me this one depends. Um, if it's happening consciously, if he's doing it of his own volition, if he has figured out a way of doing this magic, and especially if it's a scientific reasoning behind it, then I think probably he would exceed Einstein. But if this is something where he's woken up and he just knows that he basically can do these things, but he doesn't know why, no. I mean, he, he's fascinating to science and we'd want to probably pull him apart and see what makes him tick, but that's not more impressive than Einstein. He's doing the thing, right? I mean, doing gravity and things like that are impressive, but figuring out gravity is much more impressive. So to me, if he's just able to do these things, that's, I mean, you know, he'd do well in a carnival freak show, but I don't think, or as I said, being pulled apart by science, but I don't think that's more impressive than what Einstein did.
2: Hmm. So, I guess the question is: Is somebody with some natural talent actually more impressive than somebody who's actually put in the the work and the time to acquire a skill that that you might have as a natural talent, but but you could acquire that skill by practicing hard? I, th- I would think I would respect that person more. Okay. No. Uh, I think so. I think we're in agreement, aren't we? No, I disagree no. with you. If if okay. if he just
0: was able to, like, you know, train a muscle until he could do something like this. It's like a sportsman. Again, I don't think it's impressive as using your brain mentally figuring stuff out. I, I think just practicing until you can do something, it's, it's good, but, you know, we're all in a continuum for that, I guess. Mm-hmm. But
1: I guess I'd be kind of curious of how did he figure out that he can do only these five tricks? Because, you, you, you know, you come out of the womb and you don't have that knowledge. <laughs> You, I guess know, you, you don't have the knowledge to read. You learn how to read. So I guess it's presumed that, you know, somehow he somehow did figure out, oh, I can do these tricks. And I kind of think that's pretty, I think it's neat, but I don't know if it's impressive.
2: Hmm. Yeah. All right.
0: It's fascinating he's not.
2: Yeah, I think, I think we I think come to the conclusion that he's not more impressive than Albert Einstein. Cool. So can we then cut him open
0: and find out what's going on? <laughs> Is that ethical? I don't know.
1: We should ask Judy.
0: <laughs>
2: well, he had to be dead first. <laughs> All right. So, did that <laughs> give you enough time to find uh, yes, your documents? Yes, it did. And in fact, um, so uh, there's this there's this sort of myth of uh, stress-induced technology failure, which we've actually had two examples of here today firstly we struggled with getting the microphones to come through the pa yeah and that was like five minutes or ten minutes before we were about to start and so we used a logical process to figure out what the problem was yeah didn't we and then i went to try and use my tablet and for some reason it had crashed I had to actually restart it. So, um, yeah. So I'm using this, this tablet, which is called a Remarkable, which I've had for a little over a year, and I can write handwriting on it, and I'm, I absolutely love it. Anyway, so I have made some notes about what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, so, um,
1: Just, I'm too loud. No, I'm you're too loud. Bit, you're no, becoming yeah. staticky. Oh,
2: fine. okay. All right. I'm getting um, I'm getting feedback from my, my hosts about my microphone technique. <laughs> Uh, so, um, yeah, so recently uh, Twitter has been in turmoil through the purchase of it by Elon Musk. Um, so, Elon Musk is the uh, CEO of various companies, including uh, Tesla, the EV manufacturer, um, SpaceX, uh, and isn't there another one? Is a Neuralink? Oh, and he also has Starlink. Uh, so that's the satellites in the sky that provide yeah, solar cities, uh, the guys that do the solar roofs. Oh, right. I did. Yeah. Okay. I knew something a little bit about that. Um, so, yeah. So e- Elon Musk um, has purchased Twitter. He kind of tried to back out of the deal, but was then forced into it. Um, so he paid $44 billion. Um, not really of his own money because he didn't actually have the money, um, but he has uh, stocks in his companies and he has uh, got loans from other uh, other providers such as uh, Saudi banks, apparently. Um, and then, yeah, he kind of seems to have uh, taken on kind of trying to burn the company down it would seem, at least from public perception. Uh, so he's laid off a huge number of the staff. Um, and there's been lots of speculation about how long Twitter will actually last. Now now as a as a software person and and Mark as a as another software person, I mean what's your what's your thoughts about what would happen if the, the software you support um, if all virtually all the people who support it get laid off and, and aren't working on it anymore. Basically, in my company, that's
0: just me. And I think (laughs) after a few weeks, it would grind to a halt and the company wouldn't be able to use it anymore.
2: Yeah, exactly. So a lot of these really complex software systems need this sort of continual maintenance in order to actually keep up and running. Because there's lots of things that are going on behind the scenes that... um, that if there's nobody there who knows how they work um, can deteriorate over time and end up um, failing quite catastrophically and not necessarily being able to be brought back up um, because there's nobody who actually knows how everything sort of all fits together and and, and happens. So it's quite often not... Just a matter of turning it off and on again, um, as is quite often the um, recommendation for some of these technology solutions. Um, but yeah, and, and I kind of like them make the analogy to it being like the body or a car or a house that if you stop maintaining it eventually, um, you'll have some sort of catastrophic failure. But all of this is background uh, to some um, some tweeting that's been going on, and uh, there was a tweet that I responded to uh, recently. So uh, a fairly prominent uh, critic of uh, te- um, Elon Musk wrote, remind me again, who is it that buys Teslas? Now, the implication of this is that um, people aren't going to buy Teslas because Elon Musk is an awful person and... Um, and, and that's going to affect uh, the reputation of, of his, his products. What do you guys think about that? Mm. I know you
0: own a Tesla, so I'm not going to say anything here that might incriminate myself.
1: I think we have a really good podcast relationship, and I want to maintain that
0: right. for future purposes. Okay. So we'll okay. just let you talk for now.
2: Okay, so, so I, I responded to that and said, I have owned a Tesla Model 3 for nearly two years, and I love it, and I'm as liberal and left-wing as they come, but I detest Musk. I can separate the person who is a CEO from the technology and the better-for-the-planet experience. So to me, I, th- I think this is kind of indicative of, uh, of a lot of the problems in the world, and that people kind of um, clump together um, personalities um, with, with products, and so people are essentially criticising um, the, the company because of the person who is heading it up. Um, so that that kind of got a lot of um, a lot of reaction. I actually got about nearly 300 people who were uh, responding to my tweet, which was quite amazing. Um, Somebody said that if they had to mine rare earth materials for the battery, and they burn coal for the electricity to charge the battery, and the battery is eventually going to landfill, how does the car help the planet? So to me, that was a particular tweet that sort of indicated a whole bunch of misconceptions all at the same time. Um, So for a start, many of the EV batteries these days don't actually have rare earth m- minerals in them. Um, secondly, when you say don't have to, practically do they have rare earth minerals in them? Well, I do know that the the batteries that are in the modern Tesla cars don't have rare earth minerals. Okay. Um, and so I did a little bit of a deep dive today into what a rare earth mon- mineral is. And um, it's, it's interesting the name in that rare earth minerals aren't actually rare. Um, so they're actually all over the planet, um, uh, and there's a bunch of metals um, that are called rare earth metals, um, and they essentially are a little bit difficult to extract um, out of out of the ores that they they are in, um, and they're called earth because that was back in the 1700s when they were discovered. That's what they called things that could be dissolved in acid. Oh, yeah. So which is quite interesting. Um, so. But then there's the really big misconception in there in that uh, if they burn coal to power the to to actually charge the uh, car then you're actually not helping things at all and that is a big misconception because there is a, you have to calculate the efficiency um, in the equation so even if you burn coal to charge the battery to run the car, it's still way more efficient than if you um, were using gasoline to, or petrol as we call it here, uh, to, to run the car. So there's this matter of efficiency. So, um, so the studies have been done uh, in terms of the, say, my Tesla Model 3. Given that you emit CO2 in order to build the vehicle and transport it and everything, if you even if you powered the car by burning coal to charge the battery, after you've driven around about twenty-one thousand kilometers in it, you are now emitting less CO two than you would if you were continued to drive a an internal combustion engine vehicle. Um, and if you were able to charge the battery off and electricity that's powered by renewable sources, then that falls down to around about 13,000 kilometres. And we're pretty good in this country for renewables, right? Exactly. Um, so there's actually a really good um, website uh, run by one of the electricity generators where you can go and see at any particular point of time in real time what percentage of uh, electricity is coming from renewable sources, so you can see the different sources like the coal generators or the gas, geothermal, hydro and so on. And quite a lot of the time um, we're running 100% renewable, So, um, and particularly as most people do, they take advantage of off-peak rates, so they would be charging their cars at night um, when there's virtually there's a lot less load, and so all of that electricity is being re- generated from renewable sources. So that, to me, is kind of the biggest uh, the biggest um, misconception in that tweet. Um, and then there's the final one there that uh, um, the battery is going to go to landfill. Um, I guess in the fullness of time that may well be the case but um, what what the plan seems to be is that uh, any um, batteries that are no longer useful in in an electric vehicle and that's generally because they they you they've lost so much range that they're no longer useful then those batteries can be taken out and used as uh, some sort of a a solar um, solar power um, house pack so you could charge those batteries from um, your solar cells on the roof and then provide power to your house uh, during the day. I've,
0: I've heard this argument before, but practically at the moment that's not really happening, right? There aren't companies that are doing this at scale at all.
2: No, and I think it's that's probably because we're fairly early in the game. Um, I know that there are some old Nissan Leafs that have very, very poor battery um, health at this point in time but even so they're still being driven around and they're getting sort of 60 70 80 kilometers of range on a charge um so even that if you're just driving around town is actually not bad range if you can not be emitting co2 or at least very very much minimizing the amount of co2 you are uh, emitting then that's got to be better better for the planet um and to me you Um, Climate change is our biggest uh, emergency at the moment, and we should be doing all we can to reduce um, our CO2. Um, I I guess this really is indicative of the way people think about these sorts of problems, in that they want to um, point out all the negative sides of the thing that they're against but they don't then go and apply the same reasoning to the thing that they're for. So they will go and identify all the things that are wrong with um, EVs, um, but then not go and look and see whether the, the um, petrol that goes into their cars is also suffering from the, the same issues. Um, so as I understand it, there are rare earth minerals that are required for the production of petroleum. Um, and then there's all the transport and mining of that goes into um, transporting that fuel to the country for us to to use. Um, and the same applies, say, to COVID vaccines. People are criticising that um, if you take a vaccine, there's the risk that you might get myocarditis and die. But as we've seen, the risks of actually uh, getting myocarditis from COVID are much higher. So people aren't sort of balancing those um those factors anyway that was my rant about evs (laughs) so you've you've justified your justified your purchase of a
0: tesla now how do you feel
2: i feel good
1: (laughs) it was very nice ride that you gave us the last time we were in it
2: yes i'm sure (laughs) even if even if mark was petrified at my driving
0: you are an aggressive driver that was scary (laughs) But thank you. It was like a roller coaster ride.
2: You lived to, t- to tell the tale. I did. I did. <laughs> so, uh, what have we got next? Me, um, talking about yes, trad wives. Yes, yes.
1: Um, I guess I'll start off by saying... Um sort of on and off of what I was gonna talk about today, but um, after seeing Mark Dunnick's talk, and um, I guess in a sense this uh, podcast is a kind of a postcard for all the people who couldn't be here, um, saying wish you were here, you missed all these great talks. Uh, Mark Dunnick presented yesterday about the history of um, the far right and fascist movements in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And you kind of consider this section sort of a companion piece to that because we didn't see very many women. I mean, there's Chantelle Baker, there's Karen Brewer, um, But that's it, you know, it was largely focused on Kyle Chapman and Carrie Bolton and those sort of figures. Um, And also, this sort of connects to the incel in November, because the elegant solution to who is going to marry and have the white children of our, you know, to keep the Caucasian race going, and who's going to satisfy these incels, but what we call trad wives. Tradwives is kind of they exist offline obviously but it's really grown as an internet phenomenon since about 2018. Now in its quote unquote purest form, tradwives are women women specifically women who take on the traditional role in a marriage. So they're stay-at-home moms, wives and mothers and they they submit to their husbands. They let the husband make decision, the husband determines what's happening with the money, etc. Um, and a lot of it, they sort of go between two aesthetics. One is sort of the 1950s housewife, and the other is we're homesteading farmers, we're doing everything at home, we're not shopping, we're making our own milk, raising a pastel of kids in a nice um, bucolic rural setting. Um, but when you go, we, we know that the good old days aren't always the good old days. Um, there's a lot of gender equality, equality racial equality, um, you know, you weren't, no one, you could you we didn't, you know, there wasn't really a lot of um, LGBTQIA pride parades, and that's something that's very appealing to the far right, um, because that's what it means, and if you can sort of recruit women, particularly young women to come, and that's a way that they do recruit um, for women to join that movement, and it's really prevalent, particularly in visual social media so your Pinterest your Instagram and your YouTube and what's made it particularly insidious is that a lot of the imagery again you know the nice flowing dresses you know do, you know making your own making your own bread really overlaps with what's what's called cottage core which is ironically um, an aesthetic that's a lot more appealing to lesbians <laughs> Um But again, it's just living off the land. Um, But when they can sort of draw people into that, then you start, start, when you go into these accounts, you come for the uh, homemade sourdough bread and you get messages like, Hey, support the patriarchy. Feminism failed us. <laughs> oh,
2: that sounds nasty. It s- sounds very much like um, what we what we would see on um, The Handmaid's Tale.
1: Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, well, The Handmaid's Tale, though, none of, like, I mean, more the Serena Joys yeah, rather right. than the actual handmaids. Mm-hmm. Um, but the irony is, is that you have these, you know, being an internet influencer is a job. And the irony is that you have these right-wing influencers saying, quit your jobs, get out of the workforce. Submit to your husband, hmm. but it's a job. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so are there many people who would fit into this category here in New Zealand?
1: Yeah, you do. Particularly, in, like the quiverful movements. Like a lot of our right, you know, a lot of our evangelical Christianity. There's a big overlap there. Hmm. Um, but I think it's the, the the surprise that people are finding is that it's a lot of the millennial. You know, we're seeing a growing population of millennial and right. women who are joining,
2: yeah, and and so how do you think people get into this movement? Is it is it just through the right wing well, no, influence or? N-
1: no? Because I mean, as I said, in this pure, I say, I say quote unquote purest form, there is a quite a large portion of trad wives who aren't right wing. Hmm. Basically, there's been burnout due to the pandemic, which has caused sort of a rise and increased interest in those search in those searches for trad wife, um, stay at home mom, because they ha- you know is that. Burnout of still taking on the majority of the childcare. Mm. Um, we still have that sort of strain of people who are very much afraid of the imminent collapse of society. So, learning how to homestead, you know, be self sufficient, kind of closer to what we're seeing with Voices for Freedom.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so they've really gone down the prepper route recently, haven't they, Voices Freedom? Mm-hmm. They've got like a whole website set up that teaches you how to pickle your own vegetables and uh, mm-hmm. make your own rechargeable lamps and things like this. They really are thinking that the end of the world is nigh, because so far I'm not seeing a grift there. I'm not seeing them selling anything that's, that seems really cynical. Mm-hmm. So I wonder whether they really do believe that this is this is coming, that you know the world is going to end.
2: Mm-hmm. I th- I think that was perhaps part of what they were getting at when they talked about becoming ungovernable and that they wanted to set themselves up as a being able to be self-sufficient so they weren't reliant upon whatever regulations the government would put in place to make to allow them to access food.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe. So may, maybe they're going to be kind of hitching their wagon to the Trad Wives thing soon then if that, if that helps their cause.
1: I don't know. I mean, I guess they'd have to you know, not be the heads of Voices for Freedom.
0: Oh, good point. They'd have to let men take over. That would I mean, well.
1: You could sort of, you know, you sort of start thinking, oh, could Chantal Baker be a trad wife? Absolutely not. You know, she is absolutely in charge.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, how are we going to keep an eye on these people? Do well, they need saving?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all about maybe a little bit of time. Some, You know, there are women who have said, you know, they've gotten out of it, particularly because of the growth of the right-wing messaging Hmm. and this is you know this is not new right-wing messaging you know we see that we've seen it in since world war ii with the nazis and you know it even goes back even earlier than that you're looking at sort of the american republican government Mm -hmm. when the american government was forming similar sort of message that really you know really promotes the woman who stays home and is a wife and mother Hmm.
2: And and i guess with the pandemic there's been a lot more of staying at home And so Mm -hmm. it might be that people can sort of ease into those roles of, well, you stayed home because you had to during the pandemic, you educated the kids at home, Mm -hmm. why don't we move you into that kind of role of educating the kids full time and being the stay at home mum?
1: It's a choice that a lot of women make even regardless of the pandemic, the absolute inaccessibility of childcare. Hmm. really does force you know forces a lot of families to choose who's going to go work and who's going to stay home and take care of the kids because you know you end up just losing you you lose money sometimes in that process yeah
2: wow so Mark yeah You are going to talk about somebody, Franklin Graham. Why is that name ring a bell? Ah,
0: not because of (laughs) Franklin, but because of his his dad, his dearly departed dad, (laughs) Billy Graham, who um, I'm hoping some people in the audience will have heard of. So, Billy Graham um, has been famous around the world. He used to travel the world and run revival events, Christian revival events, where he would... uh, basically convert thousands of people to Christianity and he even called them crusades which is, to me is a pretty horrible term to be using uh, but these were kind of some of the big tent events where they would literally erect a big tent and they'd get people in and then uh, they'd, hour or two of preaching followed by asking people to come to the front um, if they needed to be saved, if they needed Jesus in their lives and Billy Graham did this for many years. In the early 2000s he was getting a bit old and he handed the reins over to his son Franklin Graham mm-hmm. um, and I think Billy eventually died in 2018 so fairly recently um, but Franklin Graham has been carrying the torch and he uh, announced a while ago that he was going to be coming to New Zealand
1: well we were there for the announcement because he did um, they did that at the um, prayers of Parliament
0: Yeah, that's right. So Bronwyn and I were at a really weird event called Prayers at Parliament, um, where every three months, um, a group of MPs with a bunch of religious leaders get together inside Parliament and they pray for our country because our country apparently needs prayer (laughs) because it's going to the dogs. Um, And um, Bronwyn, it was your first time when we went recently?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I want to acknowledge that Tim was with us, wasn't he?
0: Thanks, Tim, for coming along. He's in the audience. Yes. Yeah, so, Tim and I have been a few times, um, and we've had we've had really good fun. I mean, a bunch of religious leaders, um, some MPs national MPs unsurprisingly being Christian Uh, and then two or three atheists just quietly sitting there pretending to be Christians. (laughs) really praying Um, really poorly. (laughs) (laughs) And the most awkward part of this and the bit that's taken the most effort and has been really kind of hard to get along with is the fact that how the evening goes is that um, MPs will stand up at the front and they will talk for about ten minutes about a prayer track. So this is a topic that needs prayer and it might be marijuana or euthanasia or the rising crime levels or probably the next prayer in parliament is going to be ram raids it's all national talking points pretty much Mm -hmm. and then you have to get into a group and as a group of maybe or small groups groups of four or five you have to in turn pray. And it's this prayer that is really hard to do. I used to be a Christian and when I was a Christian, I wasn't big on praying publicly, in praying out loud. Now as an atheist, I'm doing a lot more of it. And (laughs) it just, it takes a bit to get used to it. Like my first few prayers have been very short and I've run out of words very quickly. And I'm, before my turn comes around, I'm practicing it in my head again and again. And even so I just run out of steam, but I think I'm getting better. I think I'm getting to the point where I can last about two minutes. And most of it's nonsense. Most of it is just reiterating yourself and trying to say the same thing in different ways. Yeah. But it's just got to sound like a prayer.
2: Yeah. When I hear these Christian prayers, they seem to have the sort of familiar pattern to them. And they seem to be kind of like, Lord, we just ask you to... Do this thing, and we, yep, that's okay. kind of the pattern they follow. Isn't but
1: it? poor Craig, because your flight got canceled, so you're staying another night in Wellington, you'll really love this. Um, when they announced that Franklin Graham was coming, and we were in our prayer group, um, one of the women who I think was on a was she a rise or was she Destiny Church affiliated? But she was praying that, um, yeah, Franklin Graham would have no problems getting on the plane. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, and there was another woman on that evening that um we were trying to pray about crime and um her prayer was Dear Lord, we we know that there's a lot of crime in this country. And I don't know whether this is true, but I've heard that a lot of this crime is happening because people are being hypnotized and they're being forced into committing these crimes. And I really hope that you can stop the people who are hypnotizing them and controlling them. What is this? Where is this coming from? And she was a Destiny Church member. And I I don't think Brian Tamaki's been feeding them stuff this crazy, but someone has been giving her this kind of stuff. And it's just really weird. No. really unfortunate that, that somebody is out there believing this, that most crime is because of hypnotism. Well, but anyway, yes. Yeah, so yeah. back to Franklin Graham. Yeah, we we yeah. really should get back to the event it's, in hand.
1: This, is this like the, was this the first year since the 1950s that they've done a revival? Because it sounds like Billy, you know, a lot of people still talk about when Billy Graham was here in the late
0: 1950s. Yeah, I think the 50s, or maybe there's one in the 70s, but it's been a long time since Billy Graham was here. Um, and now he's and never
1: coming again because no. he's dead.
0: <laughs> well, you know, unless he gets resurrected eventually, we'll have to see. Uh, but for now, until his resurrection, uh, his son is doing his work for him. And so his son was here recently, and I went to the TSB Arena in Wellington. And when I got there, the place was pretty packed. Um, I estimated with a quick count 2,000 people. Apparently, the number was around 3,000. That was the official estimate, and I don't think they were lying about this number. So it was a lot of people. Um, But unlike the older revivals, where apparently a lot of people were... Trying to come into the religion. They were new to Christianity It appeared that this time most people were established Christians that they'd turned up on buses in fact on the way in, I saw I think three buses in a queue that Obviously were there because they bust in church loads of people So a lot of it was just getting Christians in to pack the event even though the event was supposed to be a conversion event The vast majority of people in there already believed um, Painfully I sat there and listened to a band as a warm-up and then I sat there and I listened to a second band and then I listened to a third band and it was two hours before Franklin Graham came on the stage and that was almost too much for me to bear. Um, I really wanted to see Franklin but just it almost felt arrogant that there was like two hours of intro building up to this moment when he came up on stage. And that that coming up on stage was, I think, even more of a letdown than I was expecting. Like within two months, he'd name dropped Trump. He talked about how he'd been talking to Trump and he'd asked Trump why we had lockdowns, whose idea were the lockdowns. And I I think the topic was immaterial. I think he was hoping that that credential of being friends with Trump was enough that was going to impress the crowd. And certainly for a portion of the Crowd. It seemed like that was the case that they loved hearing this, and then he followed it up, even though it was totally irrelevant to his sermon. He followed up by talking about abortion and how abortion should be illegal, and talking about how marriage should be between an, a man and woman only. And just again, hearing the cheers from the crowd for these was was pretty disappointing. It's uh, you know, it's it's not a place we want to return to where where we're living in this society where many people don't get to live the way they want to live, um, and so. So after the sermon was finished, Franklin Graham did the usual thing of trying to convert people. So um, he said to the crowd, if there's anybody here that doesn't know that Jesus has forgiven their sins, I'd like you to come to the front now I thought about this for a minute and I'm like well technically that's me technically I don't know that Jesus died for my sins But you <laughs> once knew how could you have forgotten <laughs> I just don't believe it anymore right, right. so I, I figured this is a loophole I can justify in my heart going to the front just you know have a poke around see what happens so I went to the front and I joined the other people there but what I was interested in when this was going on was the kinds of tricks that are used and I've seen them at other churches as well like a rise Church but the tricks that these kinds of events, these conversion events use to bolster their numbers. What they want to do is come out of an event like this and claim a large number of people they've converted. This is what they're after is we converted six hundred people, we converted three thousand. And there are certainly some preachers out there that will claim thousands healed or thousands converted. And, you know, these numbers often look like they've been inflated and this evening seemed to be no exception because that first question about did we know that Jesus died for our sins was also you can also come to the front if you're starting to feel distant from God if you're not feeling like you have the connection to God you once used to please come to the front as well and then it was followed up I think by something like uh, and maybe if you feel like somebody in your family um, needs to come to God come forward for them and get <laughs> prayer and so the laundry list of of reasons why you should go to the front was was quite big um and then once he's given this list and people come to the front the next thing is that awkward Pause that Wait, where he's like, I think there are some more people that need to come to the front God's (laughs) telling me that there are other people that haven't yet come to the front that need to I'm getting the feeling some people at the back. There are some people at the back. Maybe they still need time He turned around to the band. Can we have another verse, please? I feel like we need another five minutes for people to come to the front and the pressure there of like well Maybe maybe if I go to the front, maybe if enough people come to the front We'll satisfy him and we can get on with the rest of it I can imagine some Christians at that point They're trying to justify they're running through that list he's given and do any any of these make any sense to me Do any of these ring true? And if so, maybe I'll go to the front and maybe this wait will finally finish And so the numbers started swelling and getting bigger and bigger and at one point Billy uh, Franklin Graham decided that he had enough people and he had us recite a prayer which um, I kept my mouth shut I felt that was a little bit more honest (laughs) not praying Um, and then he said that it was great that we'd we'd come to Jesus. And the next thing he announced, and this was the thing I've never seen before that was really weird, he announced that in the crowd with us, next to each of us, there was a church volunteer who was there to talk us through the next steps. And it turns out that of the crowd that had gone to the front for conversion, half of them that were there weren't there for conversion. They were volunteers who were there to talk to us. And so the crowd was twice the size that it should have been. And there, indeed, as soon as I turned around to my left, was a guy waiting for me. And he had a little folder, and inside that folder were a couple of books. I had a notebook, and there was the Gospel of John, And there was a contact card. And the contact card, he handed me a pen, and he said, if you could fill out this contact card, please. And I read through it, and it it was a lot. He was asking for my full name, my sex, my age, my home address, my mobile number, and my email address. And I'm an idiot, so I filled it in. (laughs) I did ask him at one point, are you sure you need all this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, the more you can fill in, the better it is for us. So I filled the whole thing in. I then took a picture of it for my records just so I could remember everything I'd done. And there was a tick box at the bottom with four options. One of them was, Commitment. I'm committing my life to God. Another one was recommitment. I moved away from God and I'm coming back Third one. I can't remember what it was and the fourth one that I ticked just said something like more information That's all I'm here for is I want more information I thought it's most honest that I tick this one. So I ticked the more information box I had a little chat with the guy, but he was even more socially awkward with me. So <laughs> kind of skipped out pretty quickly. Uh, he was making it feel bad. And I went to the pub and I had a nice pint with friends, which was, which was really good. And this was on the Wednesday. Now, Saturday morning, I go to my mailbox and there's already a letter from Franklin Graham. <laughs> I mean, this is not taking them long at all to do. And the letter basically started off congratulating me for committing my life to Christ. And I'm like, at no point did I say I was committing my life to Christ. I ticked the box saying I wanted more information. Mm -hmm. That's all I did. But now it's obvious I'm a statistic. The church is now counting me as one of the many people that they've converted. And no doubt I'm going to be a number in promotional material now where they're going to be asking people for money to run more of these because Mm. look how many people they converted in Wellington and look how many they converted in Auckland. And these numbers are not true. And honestly, the, the only thing it really reminds me of is Scientology. I've been to some Scientology meetings, again, undercover and a little bit odd, but one of them we were shown this video where the whole thing was, it was worldwide, the ideal orgs that they'd open around the world. And just talking about the numbers, look at the number of people we got in. So they have things like body routing. In Scientology, body routing is physically rooting someone's body from the street into the building. And so they had like the Brazilian ideal org. They had 500% increase in body routing. And then they jumped to the next one, the Los Angeles ideal org. They had a 200% increase in viewings of their Scientology intro video. And they pick another one and it was a 400% increase in the number of people that signed up to the detox program that they have. And it was all this thing about making these big numbers. And I definitely, I've seen the same with the Rise Church. as a. Christian thing, these evangelical churches, they love talking about these big numbers. How many people came to Jesus? Isn't it amazing?
1: Mm. Uh, so, I, I guess in terms of big numbers, um, Franklin Graham is, runs Samaritan's Purse, which runs Operation Shoebox, and tis the season that, um, or it's actually tis past the season where a lot of our Christian stores in New Zealand have uh, been collecting the shoeboxes. Did you say anything about that? Because I hate that charity so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, it was mentioned briefly, I think not by Franklin from memory, mm-hmm. but the intro, there was a video that mentioned the Samaritan's Purse, and they definitely showed... People holding Mm shoeboxes in some of the pictures. And I think one of the singers also mentioned it. He did like an intro to Franklin Graham and how amazing he was. And they mentioned that. And I I definitely, because you've already ragged on them in one of our past newsletters, I definitely thought of you and how much you hate that when I saw this. Mm.
2: Mm. So it seems to me that this is really kind of bolstering the donations that they get from current members of the church. So that basically saying, look how successful we're being. We just need some more money from you so we can be more successful, get more people. That- I
0: think so. I, I think that's a part of it definitely is that, mm. you know, they do use these numbers publicly. They do promote them like there, there's an article, uh, I think the next day, like I went on the Wednesday on the Thursday, they had an article up on the Billy Graham org website. I think it was talking about how successful the Wellington event was. And the two things they focused on were one, a story of a Muslim couple who came to Christ, and the second one of a um, Chinese child who had, had come to know God. And uh, yeah, the whole thing read as creepy. It really mm. unnerved me and made me feel a little bit weird.
2: So these people that are coming in being the, the people that introduce you to the church, are they from a single church organization in New Zealand, or is this kind of a... Cross denominational. Thing yeah, that- so I think anybody from
0: a church could could have volunteered. I think when you um, when you go onto the website, there was a place where you could click to say I want to help out. But yeah, so part of that that was interesting was, you know, they they, as far as I could tell, they deliberately tried to hide that these people were volunteers because when I walked in, there was a table that was. St- Stacked full of t shirts, and all these t shirts were black t shirts with the word volunteer in big letters. Mm -hmm. And when I went in, there were lots of people there who were wearing these t shirts, helping people to their seats, handing out earplugs, all this kind of thing. So all the volunteers, as far as I was concerned, were easy to spot. They were they were definitely labelled as such right across their back and their front, and it was very obvious. And then to find out they had this second set of volunteers in plain clothes, not wearing these t shirts, just waiting in the crowd with us, it felt so deceptive hmm. I have to ask, what are the, the earplugs for? Oh, The second band was like a full-on rock band, Christian rock I mean, it's it feels a little bit cheesy uh, <laughs> but yeah, they were like heavy guitars, weirdly, I mean, you know I'm getting older, right, so it, it wasn't the audio, it wasn't the sound level that was so much the problem, the light show, it really hurt my eyes Oh, right. This is, okay. this is an age thing, right? you'll know right, you're older than me do your eyes not cope with lights as you get older? No.
1: Maybe you need to have that BioCade uh, <laughs> supplement that's made from the leftovers of Fonterra milk. Oh, All <laughs> right. Oh, but,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, I saw the photo of that you provided of, of the... The Franklin Graham sitting standing in front of the stage, and then the the big row of subwoofers across the front of the stage. It so was very impressive production, and probably some of those Christian bands that are there. I mean, I doubt whether they are like making huge amounts of money, but this is a great opportunity for them to play in a large production value um, venue and and do a big show. Yeah. As far as I can tell, the bands
0: that tour with Franklin Graham are, are kind of owned by the organization. Oh, I think they're okay. employees of the organization. It's right. big enough that this is all part and parcel of the same it's, it's traveling, traveling sideshow. Right. It's okay. part like,
1: you know, evangelical churches have this sort of structure where you have your worship team and there's mm-hmm. people who do your entire, like, they, you know, they're, they're doing albums worth of stuff.
0: Yeah. In fact, the quality. first guy on the stage was like, he played really well, but it was like country and western music it's not my style but it was just a guy with a guitar and he had the uh, dark glasses and the cowboy hat on and he did the whole thing and I think from memory he said that he'd been with Billy Graham and playing as part of this thing since before I was born Mm. he's been in this organization for a long, long time. Right. So I imagine it is, I mean, you know, if they're staying for that long, I imagine it's something of a cash cow for them as well.
2: Yep, seems like a career option then, just like you have session musicians, you have Christian rock musicians (laughs) who jump on with an organization like this. Yeah, maybe. Yeah,
0: And certainly, you know, there's a there's a business for it. You know, a lot of Christian churches try and tell their members that secular music is not okay for them, that it's got these bad messages of sex and drugs and all that kind of thing and that they need to listen just to music that glorifies God and nothing else.
2: Particularly when you play it backwards. <laughs>
0: we should do that sometime. I, I have been a big fan of backmasking since I was in my teens. It's, it's a hilarious topic and the fact that Christians in the States in the 90s kind of jumped on that so much. Um, Yeah, it's another one of those weird things where it's like, there's just no truth to it, but it became a massive thing. Hmm. Yeah.
2: We should talk about that sometime then. Yes. (laughs) All right, we need to move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, So...
1: Well, I would say, if you don't want to come to Jesus and get to know God, then come to the pub and get to know us. Um, in Wellington, we have... <laughs> what a ha- sales tactic. I know, right? Um, that was but good. E- yeah. Well, in Wellington, we'll have three events over the next um, two weeks. This Friday at the Intercontinental on December the 2nd, we have our usual biweekly skeptics in the pub. So we are inside the hotel, in the hotel lounge proper, not on 2 Gray Street, which has the same address. Um, there's usually a good set, group of us and a, an occasional newbie, so come be a regular in Wellington. Um, and then next, um, what is it, December 7th? Uh, no, December 8th, which is the Thursday, is the group whose name I always get wrong. Mark, do you want to take that one?
0: You've got it wrong so many times, I can't remember the name anymore. I, I or think or shall we have Daniel it out? Uh, hang on. Uh, Science based healthcare <laughs> activism in the pub. Mm. I think is what we called it. It is a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs>
1: There we go, SPH. Yes, and so they provide
2: free beer, don't they? We do. So, uh, only,
0: well, yeah, only for your first complaint. But if you come along to our activism meeting and you submit a complaint to the Advertising Standards Authority or Medsafe or Commerce Commission or anywhere, uh, as soon as you've submitted your first complaint, we buy you a beer. You get a free beer for making a complaint. I mean, what's better than that? As an Englishman, complaining and drinking beer are the two things I love most. So, <laughs> come and join me doing that. It's a lot of fun. All right. So, and- December
2: 8th. Wasn't that the same date as a Dunedin Skeptics in the pub?
1: Yeah, Josh, do you want to come up to the mic and uh, tell us a little bit about where?
2: (laughs) Yes, so uh, Dunedin Skeptics at the pub is at Umbrella's on uh, Thursday week. It's usually a group of two to eight of us, depending on who turns up and what the weather's like. It's pretty
1: good. Oh, good. It's good to hear um, that Dunedin's uh, starting to rock on. And what about Auckland? When's your next meeting?
2: Uh, yeah, we're, so we will be on the Tuesday, the 6th of December at the Dice and Fork. We will definitely be on this month. We have got people who are interested in coming along, and, so. and, and I hope well. <laughs> yes, indeed. No but we credit. have at least one person
0: in the audience that turned up the last time when it was cancelled. But he just sat there and drank a beer by himself and sent me a picture of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then finally, you know, we have our national meetup online, um, the beloved skeptics in cyberspace, which will be on Friday, December the ninth, starting at six p.m. We are we do, you can just sort of sign up for the link on Meetup, and we'll have that. We'll be advertising these skeptics in cyberspace. On all of the meetup pages for skeptics in the pub, but we also have it. Um, we'll be advertising it on the Facebook page.
2: Cool. I think we might be done then.
1: I don't know. Do you want to talk about a brief talk about brickbacks and uh, our skeptics oh, of the yes, year? Oh yes, who
2: we gave our awards out to. Do it. Yes. But are,
0: you, are we going to take another ten minutes while you find the document, though?
1: <laughs> no, we can just sit, we can just have a quick chat about David Ferrier. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, so we gave David Farrier our Sceptic of the Year Award. Um, so David Farrier is the producer of Mr. Organ, the movie that's in theatres at the moment, as I understand. Um, and <laughs> and um, he's, written, he's written his Webboom blog and recently covered the uh, Arise Church, um, sort of leading to the downfall, downfall of the Camerons. Um, no longer, no longer leading the church, which I think is a good thing, given the the stories that came about, it, came out about all the nasty things that have been happening and the um, the abuse that their their interns were um, subjected to.
0: Yeah, so I think is Lisa here because Lisa's got a little bit of an update. She just gone. <laughs> oh, such bad timing. Um, so all right, I'll fill in for Lisa. And uh, apparently the Camerons, uh, John and Gillian Cameron, are have actually left the country or are leaving the country and going to Australia. That The Arise Church has collapsed so much and has been so bad for them. Um, and uh, kind of well-deserved because they appear to have been quite abusive, but they are moving to another country. Um, so I think, mm-hmm. honestly, good riddance. Wow,
2: yeah. And um, our Bent Spoon Award... Went to Sean Plunkett.
0: <sighs> yes, another well-deserved
2: one, huh? Mm. He's just getting worse. Yeah, so Sean Plunkett is uh, running his um, the platform um, where he's essentially running a sort of a radio talkback thing, isn't it? And but he's platforming all sorts of people that probably shouldn't be platformed,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, such as the leaders for Voices for Freedom and um, Chantel Baker. Um, who uh, has done some amusing things recently. Like go to Ukraine, right? <laughs> she went
0: to Ukraine a couple of months ago. That was weird.
2: Yes, yes, they did a... Uh, she and her boyfriend today, a... Or, or now fiancé, apparently, uh, did a seven-week tour of Europe, which must have been very expensive, basically uh, on the backs of donations from um, supporters. Mm. And Kelvin Alp's
0: been on the platform with Sean Plunkett as well, right. which was... Pretty disappointing to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, just the issues he's been on about, you know, he's on the wrong side of three waters and yeah. and free speech issues. And, and, much and
2: most, most recently uh, attacking uh, a journalist and uh, now claiming that the UN is saying that uh, climate change is over and we can all move on.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, my concern has been um, how the platform got its money, which has come from the Wright family, mm. you know, through the Wright Foundation, which has done some... F- dodgy financially de- financial dealings through um, their childcare centers. And as well, um, you know, they're relevant to the Wellington because that's they had the um, birth center in Wellington that they were trying to get the, uh, the DHB to buy. And now it's sort of back in operation in a sense as a transitional care unit for um, moms and babies, which is a, hmm. so it's a kind of win for Chloe right? And it's gonna be interesting to see how that all develops. Hmm. Um, but, um, lewis at brown scouse he has an instagram account and he's done a really and he has a web st- he has a sub stack as well and he's done a really great job in terms of profiling where where the dot G financial dealings are happening with the right so i'll put that in the show notes so that you can follow and give that a read sure
2: awesome. um and we gave out a whole bunch of uh award, bravo awards to journalists for writing some good stuff Yes, so we gave awards out to Kate Hanna and Dr. Sanjana Hatatua, uh, Byron Clark, Mark Dalda, Dalda, which I got <laughs> completely wrong, and um, the Stuff Circuit team who did the um, Fire and Fury documentary. So we uh, will be will be communicating with them to congratulate them on their excellent work. Awesome! Great! Right. You have been listening to the ENR podcast live, special live edition. Uh, If you would like to give us some some feedback, you can come up to us afterwards and talk (laughs) to us. (laughs) Or you can write uh, an email to us, news at skeptics.nz.
1: And you can always come on the podcast if you write a letter for the uh, newsletter or an article for the newsletter. Yes,
2: indeed.
0: Yeah, but you don't have to come on the podcast if you write an article. You can just write the article and leave it at that if you
1: (laughs) want.
2: All right, we will see you all next time. Bye.
1: Bye. Adios. No, don't tell me that didn't record. It was recording, wasn't it, Mike? Ah, shit. No, it wasn't.
0: go okay Okay. and then we we need to do our what five minutes of meditation in (laughs) preparation
1: I don't have the ceremonial cacao
2: deep breathing (laughs) exercises (sighs) right so we're waiting for James to to um, introduce us there now and he won't do he won't do that he won't do it
0: until three o'clock on the dot because he's a very punctual man
1: A- actually, yes.
2: Uh, yeah, there might be people that have gone until three. That's Would really somebody mind getting me a bottle of water, please? Thank you.
1: I think there might be um, a chiller, a chilled one in the uh, okay. kitchen, in the black no, container, no, no. maybe.
2: I didn't get a single Coke.
1: Today.
2: <laughs> you didn't get me one. No. I guess you didn't buy yourself no, one cold just cold so cold cold you could cold cold. avoid <laughs> one, but I just didn't
1: mm. have time. We have. We so bought what? a bunch. We, we bought like about four cases. Diet Coke.
2: Diet Coke. I am running caffeine free today.
1: where's oh. the chiller? It's in the it's, oh, it's in the black. It's the black. It's the black cooler. Men. That's a weaponized something, is what it is.
0: <laughs> All right, I'm caffeinated.
1: But Craig, the prima donna, wants his a uh, water. Thanks. <laughs> I put it on my rider. <laughs>
2: <laughs> next
0: should be yeah, talking about. Yeah, next is our all fans. the brown M&Ms.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no.
1: Mm.
2: 2 minutes. T minus 2 minutes. Mm. Do you think we look more prepared because we've got
0: laptops and Bromins on our phone
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, she's one of the hip young generation that does everything oh yeah, yeah no, she no not
1: really <laughs> as I said I'm just going to be recording my section so I have something that I can crib when I'm writing the newsletter article tonight <laughs>
2: oh, right. oh, hang on we didn't need the newsletter <laughs> right.
1: oh okay then that's excellent thank you
2: yeah, you
0: can do it for me next week
1: alright thank mm-hmm. you okay <clears throat>
2: Triple filtered New Zealand water for my enjoyment.
1: Are you doing some ASMR now?
0: Oh, yeah. That's it. And then can you drink up against the microphone for us?
1: With a slurp. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be pretty sad.
0: Turns out ASMR isn't my thing after all. <laughs>
2: right. Well, not done by me anyway. No. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it would be autographed. You have to autograph it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <coughs> oh, two more minutes. We're really going right to the
2: wire.
0: Yeah. We're waiting in case people, you uh, know.
2: Well, there might be some people rushing in. At the in case people are bussing in.
1: I have to say this will probably be our least downloaded episode because most of the listeners are here.
2: Yeah. Oh. oh, that's a good point. <laughs> no, they they want to see how it's going to turn out <laughs> after all that flesh post-production. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Well, that's true. Yes, yes. You mean clapping,
2: right? Not heckling. <laughs> uh, yes.
0: I don't mind as long as it's <laughs> clapping. We can fix it in post.
2: <laughs> I can add audience uh, oh, clapping no, and cheering in no, post. No, no. In fact, because it's a live audience, I could easily add some extra to make it it's sound like a like like double reroll. <laughs> I just forgot
1: to do something. Josh, when is the in Skeptics in the Pub meeting? <laughs>
2: Um, well, don't aren't we going to have somebody who's going to hold up one of those applause signs? No. <laughs> no, and we don't have the light that comes
0: on. Uh, <laughs>